Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. There is no way that two people living under the same roof can just get along and agree and be perfect with each other all of the time. It just doesn't happen. But here's the thing. Godly love overcomes the offenses. It overcomes the hurt feelings. It asks for forgiveness. It extends forgiveness. It gives grace where grace is needed. It allows for people's imperfections. In the history of the world, no subject has been talked about more than love. And in all that has been said, written, or sung, nothing has surpassed what the Apostle Paul wrote 2,000 years ago in 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is as beautiful a depiction, as beautiful a picture, as beautiful a definition of love as exists, not just in the Bible, but as exists in all of literature. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk, the love chapter. That's how many have referred to 1 Corinthians 13. And today, Pastor Clay is going to take us there as we continue in our series, Crossroads, where faith intersects culture. But as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 today, we're actually going to start in the last part of chapter 12. We didn't quite finish that last week. Sacrificial, others first kind of love. Man, in the context of my life, does that type of love, does others first sacrificial, putting the other person before me, is that the defining characteristic of my life. Would you say that that is the case? Something to think about, isn't it? And as we'll see, combining the end of chapter 12 with chapter 13 will help us clearly see the connection between the two as we look at the subjects of spiritual gifts and a more excellent way. Now here's Pastor Clay. Crossroads, where your faith intersects your culture. How does it work? How, how, does, how does my faith work in the culture in which, I ex, in which I exist? In this culture that we're in right now, this room, this is, a, this is a culture of followers of Jesus. Guess what? It's easy for my faith to operate in this room. It's easy for me to say, man, I'm praying for you, or praise the Lord, or how you doing, or uh, you know, it, it's easy for the culture, but, but out in that culture, out there in the world, how does my faith intersect that culture? That's really what the letters of First and Second Corinthians are all about. And uh, for the last couple of weeks, we've been in First Corinthians chapter 12, where the Apostle Paul is talking about spiritual gifts, what they are, what they aren't, what they mean, what they're for, all that kind of stuff. And uh, for two weeks in a row, I read you the entire First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 31. I'm not doing that today, uh, because just in the providence of God, we're going to wind up this little bit of chapter 12 that I didn't get to last week and go straight on into chapter 13. That's exactly how it ought to be so that you can see the context and how it all fits together. Am I talking too fast? Okay. I don't know. (laughs) Y'all say yes? No? What? I can't can't hear anymore. I'm getting up. No, I'm just just kidding. Okay, so, um, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12 we had a, there's an overarching idea that I gave you, started with just a couple of weeks ago, and it looked like this. It isn't about your spiritual gift. Even though that's what the chapter is talking about, the overarching idea I think that you'll see or have seen if you've been coming to these messages is that it's not really about your spiritual gift, even though he talks about that, but it's really about his spiritual body. That that's really what the conversation about, and that's really what spiritual gifts are about. And uh, and so there were a couple of uh, ideas that we went over. The first one was uh, this, that, that when it comes to spiritual gifts, it's his decision. Who, what, when, where, 
God determines in his sovereignty the best way to distribute spiritual gifts. And, and you can go back and listen to those messages where we've talked about all the various spiritual gifts that Paul lists there in chapter 12. What, you know, what they were, you, I encourage you to go back. You can go to our website and connect into our uh, previous messages right there. You can go to uh, uh, iTunes. You can go to you know, what, several places. Um, so his is who, what, when, where. And then the second one we looked at last week was the, that, that the spiritual gifts, their purpose was the body's good. Unity, stability, maturity, and ministry. That, that, those are components, that are, those, those are an outcome of spiritual gifts or what they should produce within the body. So it's for the body's good, not for Clay's good or Ernie's good or this person's good or what, what I can get out of it or not get out of it. It's ultimately for the body's Good, the body of Christ, all right? And that's what you should see happening as a result of it. Now, here's the third one that I didn't quite get to last week, and i uh, giving it to you now. Your danger, inferiority, jealousy, superiority, inactivity. That's the danger that, uh, that really shows up and Paul begins to talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I know we don't have time to go back and read the entire thing, if you were here in the previous two weeks, you know we did read it. You can go back and read it yourself there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But Paul brings up this analogy, uh, uses this analogy of the human body. And he uses the human body as an analogy for the spiritual body of Christ. And he begins to talk about all these various parts, right? You remember, he begins to talk about all these various parts. And he says, uh, listen, uh, 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 the, uh, 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 I'm I don't know which part I might say, but he said an ear can't say, well, I'm not really part of the body because I'm not an eye. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, an eye is much more uh, special. An eye gets a lot more attention. People look at the colors and, and uh, you know, I can't, I'm really not part of the body because I'm not an, an eye. And he, and he goes through various body parts. And, he, and he, this can't say to this and this. And he goes the other way. He says an eye can't say to an ear that, oh, I don't need you. No, and, and, and he's, He's laying out this, this logic, which is really very simple to, to follow. That, that it, and, and in the process of this analogy, what comes out is, is these, quite honestly, pretty petty differences that arise within the body that cause these divisions. I mean, really, what he describes is, is pretty petty. Oh, oh, I don't need you. Oh, I, I could never be as good as you. It's some pretty petty stuff. But it, as I've, and I've said this before, I'm pretty sure. What tends to divide people? It's pretty petty stuff most of the time anyway, if you think about it. I mean, really, I, I know sometimes there'll be some big stuff, but for the most part, what tends to divide people is some pretty petty things that turn into something bigger than it ought to be and, and all this kind of stuff. So kind of moving it towards the end there in, in chapter 12, uh, it says this in beginning in verse 27. He says, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Each one of you make up this body. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Are not all apostles? Uh, all are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? I know that's a lot, but, but in the middle of all of that, what, what is coming out of this is that, uh, is that God is the one who distributes to the body these gifts, and, he, and, and, and they're, not, they're not necessarily the same, that, that he distributes to the gifts to the body as he knows is best for the body. 
so that no one should should so that no one should be uh, should feel inferior because man I, I just don't I know I'm not as spiritually gifted as that person is and, and no one should feel superior because oh that man I you mean you can't do this you you don't have it no one should feel superior no one should feel inferior no one should should feel uh, jealous man I, I, boy I, I, how come they uh, are more talented in this area or they have this gift of that or whatever why why, why can't I ha- no, no, it's, you're individually members and God is the one who puts this body together and he decides how this ought to be, be done and, and what, it's, what it's all for. And so none of that, uh, we have to fight off those tendencies to want to, to do that in our lives. And we have to fight off something, what, what I would call analysis paralysis. Do you know what I'm, do you know what I'm talking about? Analysis paralysis. In other words, to think so much about your spiritual gifts, what they are, what they aren't, what, what, what do I have, how am I gifted, how am I, how am I not gifted, that, that you, you think so much about it, that you give so much thought to it or so much whatever, that you actually end up doing nothing with it. And I'm here to say to you that the worst thing that you could do, the worst thing that you could do with your spiritual gift or gifts, and most, everybody has at least one if they're a follower of Jesus, most people have more than one, the worst thing you could do with your gifts is not use them. Why? Because, because, because you won't be as... No, for the, because of the body. Because the body is lacking if, if my spiritual gifts, whatever they all are, and I may not even be aware of it, but, but how, if, if the body's not being, being helped, strengthened, encouraged, whatever the case may be, depending on the spiritual gift that I have. And uh, this is going to sound... This is going to sound like I'm throwing spiritual gifts surveys. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever taken like something called a spiritual gift survey or a spiritual gift inventory. There's these things that people, that companies make that uh, that churches use to help people figure out what their spiritual gifts are. I know it's going to sound like I'm, I'm throwing those kind of things under the bus, but can I just say this to you? This just just this just in my practical what I believe God has taught me in in thirty something years of walking with Jesus. You don't need you don't need a survey to tell you what your spiritual gifts are. You, you just need to surrender. I, I, I mean, that, that's really what it comes down to. I, I'm not saying that they can't. I'm just saying that, that don't get hung up on, oh, what, what are my... You just need to surrender your life. All, quite honestly, all of us, the body would be better off if every one of us could come to a place where we could just say something like, Father, I, I, I'm not even exactly sure how you've equipped me or, or gifted me or what my gifts are or, or what that my gifts aren't. And, uh, Father, I, I'm not even sure what all they, they are, but Father, I, I surrender every single bit of me to you right now. Every bit, every talent, every gift, every ability, every ounce of energy. Father, I'm just giving it to you right now. I surrender it to you. If you'll take me and use me any way you want to, Father God. And if you'll show me a need, Father, I'll stand up and I'll stand beside my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'll stand in the gap and I'll meet that need in any way I possibly can. And I'll trust you to reveal to me how I'm gifted or how you want to use me. I'm telling you, if every single one of us who are connected to Cross Culture Church could say something like that to God and mean it, I'm telling you, God would rock the world with just the people in this room. Because this isn't about your gift. This is about the body. This is about the body of Christ. Now, real quickly, I need to say something about the last verse there in chapter 12 because there's a little bit of disagreement on the interpretation of it. Verse 31 of chapter 12 says this. 
but earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you a still more excellent way. Now, uh, let's just talk about this just a second. First off, earnestly desire, or some translations have eagerly desire. Let me just say this. Earnestly desire, eagerly desire, cannot mean that you can go after or you can ask for or you can get somehow certain spiritual gifts. So when Paul says earnestly desire the, the greater gifts, or earnestly desire them, he can't mean that you in some way can control the receiving of those gifts. It can't mean that because he has already made clear earlier in the chapter, and we looked at them last week, but he's already made clear in several places that God is the one who determines the distribution of the gifts to the body, not you or me. We don't, we don't, get, to make, we don't get to make that. Uh, like I said, it's not, it's not the Golden Corral buffet line. Yeah, I'll, I'll take uh, one gift of tongues and two miracles, and no, we don't, we don't get to do that. So, so whatever eagerly desire means, it can't mean that we can somehow control or, or receive or, or ask for or get the gifts that we think that we want or, or that we think would be best. Second, when, he, when, he, when it says there, the greater gifts, eagerly desire the greater gifts, if he is referring back to the, the list of gifts that he gives in chapter 12, he has, he has a list in there, if he's referring back to what he said earlier in chapter 12, then he can't mean greater in the sense of superior to. Right? He can't mean that. Because he's already made clear through that whole analogy of the body that all the gifts are the same. That it doesn't matter whether you're an ear or an eye or a foot or a big toe or a, a kidney or what. It doesn't matter what you are. All of us are intricately part of the body of Christ and one part is not more important than the other. So he cannot mean that it's superior in the sense that it's, it's I mean, greater in the sense that it's superior. Okay? Y'all are looking at me like, if he does mean, if he is referring back to, this, to the gifts that he's already listed in chapter 12, then he must mean that they are greater in the sense of practicality and frequency, not in the sense of superiority. In other words, uh, there are s- some gifts that are clearly just going to be more prevalent or used more often. In other words, some of what, are, what would be what I refer to as the flashier gifts, or they're sometimes referred to as the sign gifts, things like miracles and, and uh, tongues. You know, everybody wants, everybody wants the flashy ones. But the biblical evidence is that those types of gifts would become less and less frequently used or observed in the body. But gifts of, say, like helps, uh, teaching, administration, those types of gifts would always be needed and would always be, be used there. So if Paul is referring back to the list that he, was, that he already stated in chapter 12, then he must mean greater in the sense of go at, uh, uh, use the ones that, that have, ha, have a, a greater impact or greater use for the body of Christ, okay? And he may mean that. I want to say that. He may mean that because, uh, as we've already seen, as we will see, the church in Corinth, uh, they... they, they they were doing exactly the opposite. Rather, they were putting all the emphasis on the flashy ones. On the fla- and they were putting all the emphasis on one flashy gift in particular. You'll see this really clearly in chapter 14. But they were putting one em- an emphasis on one flashy gift in particular, the gift of tongues. And their overemphasis on the gift of tongues, their distorted emphasis on the gift of tongues had caused a distorted practice of the gift of tongues. I'm just going to tell you, it's flat out. <clears throat> if you're Pentecostal, you can get mad at me. 
charismatic and get mad at me, but I'm telling you um, that, that, that it had caused a distorted practice of tongues in, uh, in Corinth. So, all that to be said, here's, here's what I'm throwing my two cents worth. I don't think, I don't think he's talking about the list. He, get, he may be. He may be talking about the list of spiritual gifts. But I don't think he's talking about the spiritual gifts that he's just listed. I think he's talking about what he's about to talk about in chapter 13. I think he's, he's about to talk about a more excellent way. Let's talk about it. 1 Corinthians 13. Yeah, if you have your Bibles open already in 12, you can flip right on over to, to chapter 13. I'm going to read it in just a second. But let me just say this about 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, I'm, I'm super glad the way things worked out uh, because I want, you, I want you to see that the way these, these two chapters tie together. I agree with Paige Patterson who says that, uh, that uh, probably no other uh, chapter in all the Bible has been more beloved and more quoted than 1 Corinthians uh, 13. I, I couldn't tell you how many times, I really, I don't, I don't know how many times I would say that I have been asked uh, in, in, a, in a wedding that I have officiated, that I've been asked to read some portion of 1 Corinthians 13. And of course, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, 1 Corinthians 13 is, is as beautiful a depiction, as beautiful a picture of, uh, as beautiful a definition of love as exists, not just in the Bible, but as exists in all of literature. Nothing wrong with with using, reading 1 Corinthians 13. But I also agree with Dr. Patterson, who says that probably no other chapter in the Bible has been more divorced from its context than 1 Corinthians 13. And if you've been with us for the last two weeks in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you already know that the context of 1 Corinthians 13, uh, or you ought to know, is spiritual gifts and the problem, the issue of spiritual gifts. Let's, let's read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, beginning in verse 1. Y'all doing all right? If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, now think about what he's just been talking about, okay? Verse 31 of chapter 12, he ends up, but earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you a still more excellent way. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now, I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. But now, faith, 
hope, love, abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. There's something unbelievably powerful about those words, aren't there? All right, let's break it down real quickly here today. Let's talk about the priority of love. The priority of love in verses uh, 1 through 3. Now, like I said, I'm so glad the way, really the way it worked out because we could finish right up in chapter 12, finish that verse 31 and move right on in and, and see that, in a sense, really, uh, the context hasn't changed because the spiritual gifts that Paul talks about in chapter 12, at least, at least some of them by name, make their way right on over into chapter 13. And he begins to talk about uh, the, their, 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 their presence in the context of, of all the spiritual gifts and what this means in love. He's moving into, into the greater thing. He's moving into the greater gift. He's moving into the, to the more excellent way. Just remind you guys, and, and many of you are already familiar with this, some of you already know this, but the word love, uh, in the, as Paul uses it here, and, and it's the way it's commonly used in the New Testament, is uh, agape uh, in, the, in, in the New Testament Greek. If you, most of you know the Greeks had several different words to, to, to define very specifically a kind of love. In English, we just translate them all love. But, but the Greeks had, had uh, at least four different words to define what they love. Agape is that, that ultimate description of love. Agape is a sacrificial, others-first type of love. I mean, that's, that's, that's the best way to uh, define it. It is the type, it is the word always used to talk about God's love toward you and me. Whenever it talks about God's love, it's always a, agape. And if we are followers of Jesus Christ, it is the word, it, it is the type of love that should be uh, prevalent in our lives, practice in our lives. In fact, it should be the dominant characteristic of our lives. This, this agape kind of love, this sacrificial, others first kind of love. So, you know, it's really kind of, I guess at any place we could break and we could stop and, and we could reflect on that and we can think of, we say, man, in the context of my life, does that type of love, does others first sacrificial, putting the other person before me, does that, is that the defining characteristic of my life? Would you say that that is the case? That, that sacrificial other first type of love is the most dominant characteristic of your life? Something to think about, isn't it? And, and listen, I want you to understand, this is not anything new that Paul is teaching. It's not like Paul just came up with this uh, on his own. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but, but this is something Jesus had taught all along, right? Uh, John chapter 13, verse uh, 35, I think it is. Uh, By this all men will know that you are my disciples. If you have, and you already know what it is, agape uh, for one another. That's how people know that you're a follower of Jesus. Not the t-shirt, not the bumper sticker, not even your Facebook profile. Nothing wrong with any of those things. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But this is how Jesus said, this is how people will know that you're my disciples. If you have that kind of others first, uh, self-sacrificing for the other person, that's how they'll know. So I can come back to the question. Would you say that that is the defining characteristic of your life? And listen, 
I'm asking this in, in our context and for all of us, uh, but, and you know if you've been in here, you know that that's exactly the opposite of what was going on in Corinth. Man, they were fighting over anything and everything. And can I say this? Because if you're sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, man, I, I, me and my, my, my husband, we just had a big fight before we came to church this morning. By the way, isn't it remarkable how many fights, how many marriage fights take place on Sunday morning? Anybody want to volunteer to, no, never mind. So can I just say this? Even as followers of Jesus, we will, we will fight. We will have arguments. We will have disagreements. We will hurt each other. We will say the wrong thing. We will act the wrong way at the wrong time. We'll, we'll, we'll offend each other. We'll cause hurt feelings. We will do those things because we are imperfect people still living in an imperfect world and we will not get it right all the time, okay? You didn't amen that, but it's still true. I had a guy tell me one time, that in 50 years of marriage, he and his wife had never had one disagreement, one fight, one argument in 50 years of marriage. And at the time, you know, I, I said something like, wow, good for you. But in my mind, I was thinking, what have you been smoking? Because you are either high, delusional, or your wife has spent the last 50 years in a coma because there is no way that two people living under the same roof can just get along and agree and be perfect with each other all of the time. It just doesn't happen. But here's the thing. Godly love, agape kind of love, overcomes the offenses. It overcomes the hurt feelings. It asks for forgiveness. It extends forgiveness. It gives grace where grace is needed. It, it allows for per- people's imperfections. That's what agape, others first, self-sacrificing kind of love does. And that has to be the priority in the body of Christ. And when the body of Christ goes out, the marriages, the families, into the workplace, wherever we go, for, to, to ask that question, is that the dominant characteristic of my life? Is that what people think about me? That, 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 is, that is the person that puts other people, that loves other people, that thinks about them. Now, can I tell you this, this sidebar? You know what we would tend to do if we're honest? We'd say, well, yeah, I, uh, I definitely feel that way about my children. I know I'm self-sacrificing for my children. And, or I'm definitely that way about my spouse. And maybe those kind of come a little more naturally sometimes or, or whatever. But, but God doesn't seem to put any kind of restrictions on it, does he? He says, this is how people will know you. But just by the way you, you interact and love one another in this way. And, and if you don't, if Paul says, by the way, when, when Paul says, he talks about tongues of uh, angels, there's no, we have no biblical evidence that there is a special angelic language. There's just no biblical evidence of it whatsoever. We don't, we don't know that it is. Paul's not implying that he can speak some angelic language. All we have biblically, every time angels spoke, they spoke in the language of the person that they were speaking to. So we don't even, there's no biblical evidence that there actually is an angelic special language. And he's not claiming to have it any more than he's claiming that he can speak every single language known in the human race. Paul's using exaggeration to simply say, even if I could do all, even if I could speak the, all the languages of men and of angels in heaven and earth, if I could speak all of it, it wouldn't mean anything if love, agape love, wasn't the dominant characteristic in my life. It means nothing. My, uh, my granddaughter, Ellie, uh, was, staying, was over here at our house this week, and um, she came into my office, and she wanted to play Cindy or Nani's uh, mandolin. She wanted to play Nani's mandolin. And so uh, I got it down, put the strap on, put it on her. Uh, I didn't really have to give that picture. It's just a shameless opportunity for grandfather to show his granddaughter off is all that is. But uh, she, uh, 
she, she put the mandolin on and uh, she started playing. Listen, I, I'm, just, I'm just telling you. Even for Poppy, who loves her very much, it was nothing but noise. That's all. It was nothing but noise. So I got a guitar down and I'm trying to, you know, playing a few, uh, playing her a little tune and, and helping her try and understand about how, how, how these notes, these all different notes, and you bring these notes together and you make this melody and, and you can bring notes and play them simultaneously, make these chords and try and, you know, I can tell it's just kind of not seeing. So, so I get my harmonica out, you know, right? I get my harmonica and uh, explain to her about the harmonica and there's different notes on the harmonica. So I play, you know, play her a little tune and uh, then I hand it to her and uh, she goes, she immediately goes downstairs and starts playing. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, within five seconds, within five seconds, I hear Emery down there, stop, go away. And what Paul is saying is that when you and I, however gifted, however talented, However, whatever we think we might be, without, without agape love, we're just making noise. We're just making noise with our lives. That has to be the priority. Here's the second idea real quickly this morning. It's the product of love. You got the priority of love, you got the product of love. Uh, verse 4 and following, uh, love is patient, love is kind, it's not jealous, love does not brag, it's not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it's not provoked it does not take into account a wrong suffered it does not rejoice in unrighteousness but rejoices with the truth bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things there's the product of love there when 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 agape love is present in a person's life in the body of christ that is what is produced or should be produced in the life of that of that body it's the product of love so i just again just is does that, does that describe my relationship with these, with these other people in this, in this room or other believers, wherever uh, I might be? Does that describe my relationship with my, with my spouse? Does, that, does it bear all things? Is it, is it patient? Is it kind? Is it, that, that, that's, that's the product right there, folks. I, I, and I didn't write it. Paul wrote it on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is what is produced with that kind of love. This is what it, this is what it, it, it looks like. And you think about that because in the, in the life of the church of Corinth and all the mess that was going on, and if, and if you've been in half of this series, you, you can think back to the, uh, uh, the, the, the different issues with, with who they thought in basically chapters 1 through 4, uh, their, their personality preferences, you know, I'm following this person, I'm following that person. And this is 1 through 4, you've got the, the personality conflicts. In chapter 5, you've got the, the, the pride and the arrogance and the acceptance of, of immoral behavior uh, going on. In chapter 6, they're dragging each other into court over, over personal uh, matters. In, in, in chapters 11, you've got, the, uh, you've got the whole issue with their, their feelings of, of, of uh, their right to do whatever they want with the Lord's Supper and the, the Lord's Table. You've also got that back in chapters 8 through 10 where each one was demanding their own personal rights even if it caused a, another brother or sister, a weaker brother and sister to stumble. We don't care. We got our, we got our own rights. Now in chapter 12 and, and following, you've got the whole spiritual gifts, the arrogance and superiority and, and I'm better than you because I can do this and you can't do that. And I can do that. You've got that whole thing going on. 
Where is any of this in that? And listen to me. If you think that what I just referenced back in those other days, if you think that's just an ancient church problem, you're wrong. I've seen virtually every single one of those types of actions going on in churches that I've ministered in. I have seen people refuse to speak to each other in the same body, in the fellowship, the same fellowship, refuse to speak to each other. I've seen people refuse to serve together, work together. I've seen people uh, gossip about each other. I've seen people try and, uh, try and justify uh, immoral behavior. I've seen people demand their rights and their preferences uh, no matter what the effect is on the, on the body overall. I'm telling you, it's not an ancient church problem. It's a church problem. Because the church is made up of these individual members who sometimes forget that agape love should be the priority. And if it is, that's what is produced in our lives. Listen, look, look at what uh, John says several times in 1 John chapter 2. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. Look at this one, verse 11. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Chapter 3. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Verse 4, chapter 4. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. I think y'all are smart enough to know this. When he says brother, he doesn't mean biological brother necessarily. He means brother or sister in Christ. He means your spouse. He means your person sitting across the aisle. He means, well, I, I mean, I, I, hate's kind of a strong word. I, I wouldn't say I hate him. I'm not sure God allows us to make that differentiation. You understand what I'm saying to you? This, this is the product. What was just read there, this, this magnificent list is the product of love. One more real quickly. Uh, it is the permanence of love. In, uh, in verse 8 and following, listen, listen to what he says here. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I... I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. What a, what a magnificent truth. But, but if you think about it, man, I, I mean... Okay, I, mean, I, know love, I know love's a good thing, but how can, how can love be greater than faith? We need faith, don't we? How, how can love be, be greater than hope? I mean, isn't hope essential for our lives? I, I understand that, you know, that love's important, but, but how can it be greater than, those, than, than faith and, and hope? I, I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, ladies and gentlemen, but faith and hope have an expiration date. You ever thought about that? Faith and hope have an expiration date. Oh, faith is an absolute essential for this life. We, we live by faith, right? Isn't that what the Apostle Paul says? Galatians uh, chapter 2, verse 20. Uh, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by how? Say it. Faith 
in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Man, I need faith for salvation. I need faith for survival in this world to believe that God is by faith. Even though I can't see him. I, I don't hear him audibly speak to me. But by faith, I believe that God is working in this world. And he's accomplishing his purposes even in the, in the craziness of my life or whatever else. By faith, I keep moving forward because, because I believe that God is, is there and God is better than those kind of things. So we, we have to have faith. And hope, hope is essential to our lives, right? We, we, we live in hope, right? Isn't that what he says? Acts uh, chapter 2, Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exulted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in, say it, hope. Oh, I, I, the, the, and it's not a wishful, you know, kind of, you know, boy, I sure hope I win the lottery. It's not, it's not some wishful kind of thinking hope. It is a hope based on the validity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that the grave is not the end, that death is not the end, that, that, that we came out of that grave. What a great song to sing. Because, by the way, we, we were already dead. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God's Word says. So it, it is the hope that there is something beyond this life that is better than this life because Jesus conquered the tomb. You and I, also in relationship with Him, shall conquer that tomb. We need faith and hope in this life as much as we need air and water. But not in heaven. All hopes will be realized. Faith, faith, uh, what, what, what do I have faith in anymore? What, I don't need it anymore. Why? Paul says it right back there in verse 12 when he says, For now we see in a mirror dimly. We, we, you know, we, we see God working, we, we see certain things, but it's like looking at a, at a mirror dimly. It's kind of not clean or it's not whatever. But then face to face now i know in part but then i will know fully just as i also have been fully known that's that's ladies and gentlemen that's what makes love the greater gift really because love (laughs) love has no expiration date love will go on and on and on not only in this life but for all of eternity matter of fact i have a sneaking suspicion that love will grow deeper more mature more full more complete as the eons go on and on and on. That would make sense to me since God is love. And because he is infinite, that his love would be infinite. Faith and hope, they have an expiration date, but not love. That's why it's a more excellent way. So that no matter how you're gifted, what your talents are, what mine are, what or anything else, if love is the predominant uh, characteristic of our life, then we're getting somewhere. Then we're getting somewhere. By the way, real quickly, um, Paul references those spiritual gifts as well. Not only faith and hope, but he says those spiritual gifts that he lists. And he specifically uh, lists, lists, lists prophecy and, and knowledge and tongues that, that they will eventually uh, be done, done away with. For those of you that are interested in this kind of thing, as I know not everybody is, but those of you that are interested in this kind of thing, it's interesting that when Paul talks about the doing away of a prophecy and knowledge, the gift of prophecy and the gift of knowledge, we talked about those a couple of weeks ago in that list that he gives, uh, but he uses the, uh, the Greek verb katergeo, which means to render useless or to make inoperative. Uh, that, that there'll come a point where they, they will be ceased. They will no longer be operative. What's interesting about it to me is that when he talks about tongue ceasing, Paul changes the verb for what would appear to be no reason. But he changes the verb. When he, when he talks about the, the doing away with tongues, he uses pao, which is cease to exist. And, again, this is a grammatical thing, but he not only changes the verb, he changes the voice, what's called the voice of the verb. He, mo- he moves it from uh, a passive to a middle voice. He, he suddenly just changes, just, just for tongues, he changes it to a middle voice so that it essentially would be rendered this way. 
it would look like this. Tongues shall make themselves to cease or tongues shall automatically cease of themselves. Now, some people have said, well, when does when do the spiritual gifts go away? Some people believe that spiritual gifts, there was no need for them. Once the New Testament was completed in the Bible, the canon, what's called the canon, was completed, then there was no need for spiritual, to- or, or spiritual gifts and they could be uh, done away with. Some people believe that like faith and hope, that that's when, when we get to eternity, that's when the spiritual gifts will no longer be needed, just like faith and hope will no longer be needed and that's when they'll be done away with. My personal conviction is God is God. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, through whoever he wants. But I do think it is significant. It's just, I'm just telling you, I think it is significant that he changes the verb for uh, tongues and, and seems to imply that they simply, there'll come a point where they, they, they of themselves will simply no longer be used. And I believe that biblical evidence is that that has already transpired that the, that the biblical concept of tongues stopped early in the life of the church. As a matter of fact, uh, in Acts chapter 2, the, at Pentecost, which we looked at a couple weeks ago, Acts chapter 10, where the gospel goes to the Gentiles, and one more reference in Acts chapter 19. Other than this discussion in 1 Corinthians right here, cha- uh, chapter 12 four, and 14, other than this discussion here, that's it. Those are the only references to tongues whatsoever. It seems to have completely disappeared. But the point of all of it is, that whenever they do, God is God, he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. If he wants to give a missionary in the middle of nowhere the gift of tongues to be able to interpret, to speak to people uh, so that they can hear the gospel in their own language, God can do that. Still today, just as he did 2,000 years ago. He's God, he can do that. But the point is, without love, it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't matter. So for you and I today, when we get ready to leave this place, that's the question we're asking ourselves. Is love the priority The godly definition of love. Is that the priority of my life? Is that the product, what is produced in my life? Because if it is, it'll last forever. It will never fail. It'll always be there for you. Now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is is love. L-O-V-E, love. As we've heard today, God defines love as a sacrificial, others-first action. And as His children, we are called to love each other in that exact way. And as His children, we are called to love each other in that exact way. The Corinthian church was holding up certain spiritual gifts as the ultimate display of a spiritual life. But the Apostle Paul makes clear that love is greater than everything else. Because as Pastor Clay explained, love will last forever. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, discovering how to really live in the promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I get it from Clay Stevens. They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. 
And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculture.church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.